Tonight, I want to bring a Bible message, consider what God has given us, what God has given us. We live in a world that's troubled and a world that uh, you don't know what to believe when you listen to the media, what to believe when you read an article on the internet or in printed page. Um, people have different opinions about things, and, but this is nothing different. We live in 2020. Uh, you know there's turmoil in the first century. The Apostle Paul uh, lived in a state of turmoil in his, in his uh, government. Timothy here is a young man, a young pastor. He was troubled about some things. He sometimes had an upset stomach, the Bible tells us. Uh, he had faith, but he also, with that faith, came along with some fear. We'll say, Pastor, how do you have faith and fear at the same time? Well, you just live a regular day and you find out you have both. Timothy here, where the Bible says, in verse number five, it says, when I call to remembrance of the unfeigned faith that is in thee. He had some real faith in his life. But with that faith, he also dealt with some fear. Because the Bible tells us in verse number seven, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. But we do sometimes have a spirit of fear. I thank the Lord for states like Indiana. I live in Illinois. I'm sorry, but that's what, that's what it is, you know. Um, our, boys, uh, can't play, or, our boys can't play any sports in high school. Can't go to eat a restaurant and enjoy it. You almost got a lockdown for everything. And I pray for our governor, and um, I, I'm to thank the Lord for him. Amen. That's what the Bible tells me to do. But um, I don't always agree with him. I don't think that Paul always agreed with his leaders either. I don't think they agreed with uh, Nero to take his head off. But he did. Have you ever heard something that really bothered you to your core? Something that just upset you? I was a youth pastor down in Mattoon, Illinois, Calvary Baptist Church, for about uh, almost 12 years before I became a pastor in Rantoul. And when I was a youth pastor there, I um, had a good friend of mine named Kim Geyer. Kim Geyer worked at a place called 3, uh, 3Z. It's a printing place down in Totopolis, Illinois. Does anyone know where Totopolis is? It's a home of the Wooden Shoes. Their, their local high school team is called the Wooden Shoes. But he lived in, uh, I'm sorry, he lived in Neoga, and he drove about 30 minutes one way to work to um, Tolono. And on the way down there in that center part of the Illinois, we have a lot of uh, pig farms. Matter of fact, in Rantoul, Illinois, we have a pig processing plant. It's called Rantoul Foods. And um, if you want a good job, come down here and kill some plants there, uh, kill some animals there in uh, Rantoul. But anyway, he was on his way to work. Down. He worked third shift. He was on his way to work around 9, 30, 10 o'clock. And he comes into, he comes, or I'm sorry, he tells me the story. I'm in the back of the auditorium, listen to his story. And he's saying, you know, Mark, I want to tell you this, man. This is a crazy thing that happened to me. So I'm sitting in the back of the auditorium with him, and he's telling me this story. He says, I was on my way to work one day this week, and on my way to work, I hit a pig. It had gotten out of the fence or something, and I hit a pig, and I, I pulled over and messed my car up. Pig kind of staggered over to the side, and uh, I thought, good night. <laughs> I just killed a pig, you know. And, uh, but I gotta get, I've got to get to work. And so um, anyway... 
He goes on the work, and uh, about 11 o'clock, 11.30 comes around, and the state police comes and says, we need to speak to Kim Geyer. So Kim Geyer's back there running a press, and he tells me, I'm sitting in the back of the auditorium listening to this story. And he says, you know, uh, he said, Pastor Mark, I, I didn't know why the state police wanted me for, but I went and talked to them, and, and uh, they said, well, Kim Geyer, we got to give you a ticket for hit and run. You, you, you hit a pig on the way to work tonight, and that was someone's personal property. You did not report it. It was someone's livelihood, and you left the scene of the accident. And I'm like, Brother Kim, we've got to, go, we've got to get a lawyer. This is nuts. There's no way they can get by with this. And I was just, I was worked up, man. This was before church was getting started, and I was just getting worked up about this. I said, I'll help you get a lawyer. And uh, uh, he says, you know, I, you know, he's telling the state police, he says, well, the state police, I don't, I, mean, I don't think I deserve a ticket. Um, I'm on my way to work, and, but I'll take the ticket and I'll fight this in court. Well, he says, he got one question. He says, state trooper, I got one question. Of all the people that work here, how do you know it was me that hit the pig? Well, he looks over at me and I'm sitting back in the auditorium and says, well, the pig squealed on me. Isn't that terrible? I was worked up though. I'm telling you, I was listening to this story. <laughs> I was all in this story. How many kind of felt you're in that story just a little bit tonight? <laughs> it, I mean, I was, getting, I was getting frothy, man. I thought this cannot happen in America. And uh, sure enough, it didn't happen. I thank the Lord for that. But how many have heard something else more seriously that you've really got upset about? Maybe it was a politician that said something to you. Maybe it was a co-worker. Maybe it was a preacher. Maybe it was a, another church member. And it made you angry. You didn't know what to do about it. You didn't know how to feel about it. But you knew it bothered you. Some things happened in the life of Timothy that I think was very similar to what we experienced, some emotions that we feel. And the Apostle Paul wanted to sit Timothy down and said, Timothy, I want you to know there's a great faith in you. But also sense some fear and some anxiety. And I want to help you with that. And this evening, I want to help us with that if we could. Look down in verse number 7 again as we begin our text. He says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before your, your presence tonight, and I need your help in a great way. Lord, I'm not used to preaching in front of hundreds of people. You know my heart. You know the nervousness of it. But Lord, I have the Word of God that I stand with very comfortable because I know it's the truth. And these words that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write a young man, Timothy, is good for us today. And we thank you that we have the steadiness of the Word of God in our lives. I pray you'll work in our hearts. Work us in your, your will tonight, using your word. In the name of Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen. In January of 1933, newly reelected President FDR said in the midst of a great depression in his first inauguration address, he said that the only thing that we need to fear is fear itself. Today, our politicians are stirring up fear. And many people succumb to their tactics. 
Some people went out to the polling places and mailed in ballots or two or three ballots. And uh, because they feared something, it motivated them to action. But we as Christians, we have a different approach. We should have a different approach. Because we have a God that has given us some things. He has given this to us in His Spirit. And that Spirit is our emotion. That Spirit is our essence. Who we are, what we do, how we think, how we feel about things. The first thing He tells us that we see in verse number 7 that He's not given us a spirit of fear. If we have fear, it's not from God. Amen? It's from another source. But what God has given to us as he has given us a spirit of power. Dr. Clarence Sexton said the most powerful thing in the universe is the gospel of Jesus Christ. A presentation, a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest power in all the universe. It can change a heart. It can change a nation. It can change a family. It can change a community. Yes, let me say, it can change the world. How often do we share the most powerful thing in the universe? When you sit across from a coffee table, sit across at a, at a McDonald's or a rest, or, or a, just your, your car or a park, and you're telling someone else about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came, was born in a virgin, of a virgin, lived a perfect life without sin, became a man without ever ceasing to be God, and died on an old rugged cross, not for his sins, but for the sins of the world. And then he was taken from that cross and placed in a tomb. But three days later, he resurrected from the dead. And faith in his death and his burial and his resurrection, listen, we can have victory in eternal life through that faith. We have, a, we have the power of the gospel. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. God has not only given us a spirit of power of the gospel, but the power of influence. Each one of us have a powerful thing called influence. We have friendships. We have family. We have words. We have behaviors. And there's great power and the power of a friendship. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 23, death and life are in the power of the tongue. God has given us a spirit of power. And one of those powers is influence in someone else's life. I'm here today as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My brothers stand behind pulpits and preach the Gospels. My sister served the Lord Jesus Christ. My mom is a prayer warrior. But that began way before I was born. It began with the power of an influence of a Sunday school teacher. At the Bell Avenue Baptist Church in Knoxville, Tennessee, when a Sunday school teacher approached a 12-year-old boy and said, invite him to his class, and he heard the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It was my dad. Listen, the power of influence... Are we using the power of influence? He's given it to us. Are we using it? The power of grace living. To forgive. To endure trials and hardships. 
2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9, the Bible says, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Listen to what he says here. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. The Apostle Paul had a, a power of grace living. His life was not free from trouble. His life was not free from turmoil and temptations and hardship. No, his life was full of it. <laughs> he prayed even three times that the Lord would re relieve, relieve him from a, uh, from a thorn in the flesh. But he says to him, listen, my grace is sufficient for thee. He learned how to live a grace-filled life. And he did that, he says, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. There's a power of the gospel, the power of influence, the power of a grace-filled life. But it's also the power, great power of hope. The Bible is full of stories of great hope. I think of Daniel as he left Israel, Jerusalem, and became a, a Chaldean, changed his name, but he lived a life of hope. When political winds changed, when he worked for different politicians, he experienced hope. As he went to the lion's den, he experienced hope. He could understand the power of hope. I think of Paul, Though he was desperate at times and almost ready to die at times as he uh, floated around on the, on the Mediterranean Sea trying to get to an island, as he was bit by a serpent, as he was betrayed by friends, he lived a life of hope. And with that power of hope, he endured. I think of Job, one of the greatest Christians, the greatest believers ever had a hope that one day he would stand with his Redeemer. He knew that his Redeemer lived. In his worst day of his life, he knew that his Redeemer lived. And I think of Jeremiah, a prophet, an emotional prophet, a weeping prophet. He says in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21, listen carefully, the Bible says, Paul, uh, Jeremiah said, this I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are, every, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. There's a great power of hope that sometimes we neglect. We look at all the negatives. We look at how can, how can we survive? We look at sometimes at the numbers and say, this is just doesn't seem right. We work hard and we come up to the end of the month, we're still a bit short. Listen, there's hope. Right. On your worst day, there's hope. Amen? Jeremiah saw some rough days. Preached to the generation that rejected the truth. Went down to Egypt with a, with a, a, a backslidden people. Served time in a, in a prison where all he had was water and, and uh, just bread. Lowered him down on a rope, picked him up, and brought him food that way. What, what made Jeremiah survive? He remembered 
the Lord, his mercy and his grace. I think of Abraham in Romans chapter 4, verse number 12. He says, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Against hope, he still believed in hope. Listen, there's power in hope. David and Asaph through the, through the Psalms, Psalm 71, 5 says, thou art, my, thou art my hope, O Lord my God. Thou art my trust from my youth. 71, 14, I will hope continually and will yet praise thee more and more. Psalm 119, verse 49, remember the word unto thy servant upon that which thou hast caused me to hope. 119 verse 114 says, Thou art my hiding place, my shield, I hope in thy word. 130 verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. 146 5, happy is he that, that hath the Lord, the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. 147 11, the Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. I want to take a quick walk through the history of the United States of America and some of that of the world. And I want you to see that our nation survived some of the roughest days because of hope. Churches survived because of hope. In 1777 and 1778, we had a general named George Washington. It was a dark winter, Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. Von Steuben came, comes in and he trains men that are cold and broken and feverish. Some men that were not ill-equipped, knowing in the spring they were going to face the army of the British Empire. As they stood there in the Valley Forge and freezing cabins, people were dying about every week. There was a spirit of hope in that camp. As von Steuben stood and he, he trained the armies, as George Washington prayed, as he led the military, as he went and he, and he tried to get funds to, to get the right equipment for his men during the Continental Congress, it was that dark winter of 1777 and 1778 that there was a spirit of hope in a small place in Pennsylvania. And because of that spirit of hope, they came out victorious about a year and a half later. The nation established itself and became a powerful nation. War of 1812 comes along and Francis Scott Key sets over the Fort McHenry in a ship in Baltimore Harbor. After being bombarded all night long, Francis Scott Key writes a, a poem of hope. Talked about a star-spangled banner that still waved in the early morning dawn. That poem that he wrote was set to music, and I still love to hear it and sung today, don't you? What did he see as he sat on the, on the, on the board, on the, the ship that night? 
He didn't see a battered fort. <laughs> he saw hope. And that hope gave that generation strength to come in and, and win the battle. The nation survived that, and a few years later, in the years of 1860 to 1864, 1865, there was a great civil war on our, on our shores. Brother fighting against brother. Uncle fighting against nephews. The north and the south, blue and the gray. But on November 18th, 1863, a great man named Abraham Lincoln stood on the battlefield of Gettysburg and he made this statement. These dead shall not have died in vain. That this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, that the government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. What was Abraham Lincoln doing? A, a boy that was born in a cabin in Kentucky, became a lawyer in Springfield, Illinois, then ultimately became a president of the United States of America. What was he doing on the hillside of Gettysburg where thousands of American soldiers from the north and the south died? He was standing there giving a nation that was in struggling, that was in trouble. He was giving them some hope. We as a nation survived the Civil War. A story is told in a place called San Antonio, a place that we remember talk called the Alamo. A group of band of volunteers from Tennessee and other places went down to the Alamo and a small Spanish mission. And they stood against thousands of Santa Ana's military. From February 23rd to March the 8th of 1836, it brought a siege on that little adobe mission. The night before, General Travis drew his sword. said, if you want to leave, you can leave. But if you stay, you're probably going to die. They're going to, they're going to bombard this, this fort. And there'll be no survivors. Didn't sound like much hope, was it? 187 men. Davy Crockett, one of the great sons of Tennessee. God bless his soul. I love Tennessee Vols. I, I, I agree with Brother Callie, and I, I bleed orange. It's hurt, it hurts to watch the Tennessee Volunteers play football now, but anyway. But Davy Crockett was one of the 187 that gave their life at the sword of the, Spanish, or the Mexican army. But their stand gave the rest of the Texans hope, amen? Sam Houston came and, and uh, uh, defeated Santa Ana just a few days later. Fast forward to 1940. World War II is going on. The military in England and in Europe doesn't look good. They evacuated all the English army and those who were with them in a place called Dunkirk. People brought all kinds of ships to that little port, transported them back to the mainland of, of England. 
The spirit of England was, was poor. Thought the victory was over. I mean, the, the war was over. We, they had almost lost. But a man named Winston Churchill went on the radio and gave a speech. I want you to listen to the speech, part of it. As Dunkirk just had happened, people's hearts were discouraged. He says, we fight, we will fight in France and in the seas and oceans. We shall fight in the air, we shall defend our island. Whatever the cost may be, we shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the field, in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Now, I'm not an Englishman, but I like the spirit of Winston Churchill. It was just about a year later, on June 6th, that we invaded at Normandy and turned the tide of that war, the tide of a continent, because one man stood and gave hope. I think of August 28th, 1963, the mall in Washington, D.C., in front of Lincoln Lincoln Memorial. It was packed. It was a march led by a Baptist preacher named Martin Luther King. He was there to give hope in a dark day in America where racial division was, was high. But as he stood there on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, he made this statement that I love, that he, what he said. He says, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. What a statement. I wish we could live in that day. I think we're headed that direction for a while, but things kind of got discombobulated recently. But what a statement of hope. It was in September of 1965 through February of 1973. In a prison cell in Vietnam, Vice Admiral James Bond Stockdale, some of you know that name, I'm sure, Spent seven and a half years in a prison, four of which were in solitary confinement. But James Stockdale, a dedicated soldier, was a man that kept hope alive by secret communication with his comrades. Sometimes it was just a tap. Sometimes it was leftover piece of bread but he kept hope alive, and that kept him alive, amen? He survived that war, came back to the States, and lived an honorable life. But listen, this is the kind of spirit that God has given to us. He's given us a spirit of power, the power of the gospel, the power of influence, the power of grace living, yes, the power of hope. But he's not even finished there, did he? If you look at the rest of the passage, he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
God has given us a spirit of love. This is a love of God. This is an eternal love. This is an unconditional love, agape love. The type of love described in John chapter 3 and verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the type of love that's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's described in Romans chapter 8 verses 35 through 39. Where that nothing can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's given a spirit of love, the love of God for us. But yet that motivates us to love others. John chapter 3, verse number 1, he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. He tells us also in chapter 4, verse number 7, that we need to love our brothers as he had loved us. The spirit of love, it's a powerful thing. That's what we have to deal with. That's, that's, that's part of our equipment we have in this dark days. But he also has given us a spirit of a sound mind. A sound mind, let me say several things about this quickly. A sound mind is a disciplined mind. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 13, the Bible says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is, that is brought unto you at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. I think one of the weaknesses of the Christian life and Christian circles like that maybe that we are a part of is we lack a discipline of our minds. We don't bring in captivity the thoughts. Every one of us know someone that you may have respected in the past that because they did not discipline their minds Today, they're, they're sitting on a shelf. They're a castaway. One thing that Paul feared greatly, that he preached to others that he would become a castaway because he did not bring thoughts under control and discipline. Oh, listen, God has given us a power of a sound mind. Let's not trample it, amen? Let's grab hold of that sound mind that he's given to us and, and live our lives with discipline and character and strength. A sound mind is a humble mind. If you would go with me to the Bible, the book of Philippians chapter 2, a passage I'm sure you're familiar with, but it's a great thing to read the scriptures, amen? Philippians in chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 The Apostle Paul tells the church at Philippi, he says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God. He's simply saying, Jesus is God, he's deity. But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was in, made in fashion like of me, likeness of men. And being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It begins in this passage, let this mind be in you. What kind of mind? It's a humble mind. God can use humble people. 
Pride, he resists. But the humble, he is drawn to. How many know that we need the presence of God? Listen, he says resist, he resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He, he stays with the humble. Listen, we need to have a humble mind. None of us are better than anyone else. We're all sinners by the, saved by the grace of God if you're saved. None of us like proud people. We don't like to be around them. Someone calls you prideful, it makes you mad because of your pride, but we don't like to be called proud. You know, I talked to one lady the other day and she says, you know, pastor, I'm a humble person, aren't I? <laughs> How do you answer that question? But the, uh, a, a sound mind is a disciplined mind. A sound mind is a humble mind, but also a sound mind is an alert mind and ready. First Peter chapter five and verse number two, the Bible says, feed the flock of God, which is among you. Talking about pastors. Taking the oversight thereof, not by restraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Listen, we need to have a sober mind. A, a mind that is ready at a drop of a hat to give the gospel to someone. They respond in the proper way when our feelings are hurt. When a coworker says something, when, a, when another church member says something that bothers you, you need to be of a ready mind to simply say the right thing. And the right thing may be saying nothing at all. Or maybe simply smiling. But being of a ready mind. And then finally, and all God's people said amen, right? A sound mind is a mind that's renewed daily. Ephesians in chapter 4, if you would turn there quickly in your scriptures, you're right there in the book of Philippians. Just go back a few pages. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 23. And the Bible says, And be renewed in the spirit of your what? Your mind, that ye have put on the new man, which after God is recreated in, Christ, in righteousness and true holiness. For 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says here, For which cause we faint not, but though our outer man perish, yet the inner man is renewed day by day. Every day that we live, we need to wash our minds with the water of the Word of God. We need to come before God with a humble heart. Come before God with a disciplined mind saying, God, I, today I want my mind, I want my thoughts, I want my actions, I want my essence to be one that, that is inspired by you. God, I want to submit myself wholly to your will. I want to live a life that's a powerful life. I want to live a life that's a loving life. I want to live a life that's totally got the mindset that you want me to have. 
We look at this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we see Paul talking to a young man that was struggling in some areas. He had great faith, but he also dealt with fear. And God says to him, listen, God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Now look further. Go back to our text, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now, why has God given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind? Is it to make a name for herself? Is it to be having a reputation of being the, the best Christian that someone knows? No. The Bible tells us in verse number 8. He says, I've given you this. Be not thou therefore, what? Ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God. And you read down to the end of this sentence, verse number 11, who has saved us and called us the holy calling. He says, I've given you some things. And the reason I've given you these things is so that you will not be ashamed of me. I don't want you to be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then don't just don't be ashamed of me, but listen, don't be ashamed of, my, of your pastors, of your leaders. The Apostle Paul says, neither be ashamed of me, his prisoner. A man that was known around the world, but yet he was in prison. He was not popular. Timothy said, you know, I'm a, mentor, I'm a mentee of the Apostle Paul. And some people scoffed at him. You go to that church? You listen to that preacher? Timothy could stand tall and said, yes. I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the mentors that he's put in my life. Because I have power. I have love. I have a sound mind. I don't have to be ashamed of Jesus Christ. You may think I'm crazy, but I'm probably the most sound man here, he says. And then he says, not only that, don't be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of your mentors in the faith. But to stand steady when you face your own personal afflictions. It says in the end of verse number 8, but be thou partakers of the afflictions. That doesn't sound too happy, does it? <laughs> He's saying, Timothy, you got some dark days coming. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to live very much longer. This is 2 Timothy. It's supposed to be one of the last epistles that the Apostle Paul pre or wrote, wrote back. He says, I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. But one day, Timothy, you may have to face some difficult days. You may have to be in prison. You may be shipwrecked. You may be forsaken by your friends. What are you going to do then? I think Timothy could stand back as he finished up reading this and says, I'm going to stand like you did, Paul, because I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of what I've seen in your life. And when, I, and when I'm tested, when I'm tried, I'm going to stand true. Because of what God has given me. 
Let's take what God has given to us, amen? And let's, make, let's be the happiest, most bold Christians that this world has ever seen. We can do it because he's given us the power to do it, amen?